The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. It's the Full Goal, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every, that's right, every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Chicago everywhere. Check it. It's not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go Podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. <laughs> he is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Tony's face. I mean, we're already recording, so if you want me to do the full stuff, I'm just going to look at Tony's face and laugh the entire time. And not because Tony, Tony's a funny-looking individual, you know what I mean? I wouldn't put that on him, especially now that he's a married man, but God damn. Anytime... This is why I'm so happy that Tony Gill has been an addition to this podcast. Because shout out to my man, Jesse Lopez, right? Jesse and I have been slagging and begging here for, you know, cool. how, how long now? Are we going it's, on a year? Actually, it was a year on Tuesday. Oh, man. Happy yeah. year anniversary. Yeah, you made Tuesday. it longer than many a producer has made it with me. You know, because of my own exploits. Not because I'm some <laughs> cutthroat motherfucker just getting rid of people. Uh, but yeah, man. The reason why I'm I'm happy that Tony's with us, even though my man Jesse has been with me for a year, and then before that, Chris Tannehill, is that Tony has a special talent, uh, just um, by looking at me 
and saying with his eyes, you know you need to say what I know you need to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sometimes I get to it or sometimes I like I, I, I rev my engine up and jump right into it. But no, with messing around with Tony, Tony makes you kind of with this wry grin right here. You know, I'm telling you, he's he's the bearded baby face one. He, he will get the truth out of you just like any bearded baby face can because he's the only bearded baby face. Man, <laughs> this shit is bad. Like, <laughs> like, I, like, I, and, and I'm going to have fun with it. You know, a lot of Bulls fans running around out here lighting themselves on fire and getting mad at me because I'm not believing and all. Listen, man, when I told y'all they was a playing team, y'all should have just understood where I was at with it, right? Like this right here, after you talk about energy, after you say that you didn't have energy against the Denver Nuggets and the back-to-back reigning MVP in Nikola Jokic, like he didn't get your attention enough, now all of a sudden, oh, you know what? We The energy was just down. You know, guys got to move with a purpose. Guys got can't keep their head down and, and, and go crazy after one play on themselves. They got to stay in the fight. They need to play with more grit. We need to have more offensive movement. Defensively, guys got to be accountable for each other and not do each other's jobs, this, that, and the other. Boy, them boys came out against a New Orleans Pelicans team that had played the night before in a tough-ass game on a national stage with no Zion Williamson. And that was the effort. That was the effort, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know about y'all, but <laughs> Kendall Gill, Will Purdue, and myself are getting ready to get our A material ready because this, <laughs> like, that whole, hey, look at the East. Well, look at the East. Look at the East. You show me the easy games before you thought this team was what it is right now. And if we're talking about energy and we're talking about effort, and this is why I say things hopefully before they happen so I can go back and break my elbow by patting myself on the damn back. Now all of a sudden people are talking about the landing spot for Lonzo Ball shortly after this game and how much pressure it's going to put on Lonzo and, you know, everything that is is mounting on Lonzo's shoulders for when he comes back to come and save the day. Listen, I'm going to tell you all this right now. Lonzo Ball ain't coming back to save the day for this team, and they should stop acting like it. And I know he's coming back at some point, but I'm talking about Lonzo Ball won't be the savior for what ails this team. And you might say, hey, Jay, what ails this team? Everything right now. Everything. Like this, to me, this is the point where I look Bulls fans in the eyes and I read these replies on Twitter and I say, I get it. I get it. If if you want to feel whatever you want to feel right now as a Bulls fan, I get it. If you want to talk about Zach Levine and the money going forward in that contract and your trepidation, I get it. If you want to talk about DeMar DeRozan and the stagnation of the offense and how the isolation play isn't getting other players involved and that's why the offense is bogging down and it's so easy to to guard, I get it. If you want to talk about Nikola Vucevic not getting his ass in the paint and, 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 and acting like a big man should and all the other stuff, I get it. If you want to talk to me about Patrick Williams and the fourth pick in the draft looking a little shaky, Like, we're celebrating when he scores 10 points in a game still. I get it. If you want to talk to me about Io DeSumo, 
and how these last few games, Ayo DeSumo, who's been relegated to a spot-up corner three-point shooter or uh, on the fast break, spray out to the wing three-point shooter. I get it. I get it. And you know why I get it? Because the Bulls have given you nothing to doubt your fears. Nothing over this last week of basketball. And that's on them. And, and if, if they were being honest and truthful with you, they understand as well. This is a rough patch for this squad. It's a rough patch for Billy Donovan. Like, now's the time where you figure out, you know, how your coach gets you out of this. Everybody in the organization right now is walking around, I think, tighter than normal. And rightfully so. The Eastern Conference is what it is, but you ain't supposed to be 11th in it to start the season. And we, we do this whole 35-game thing with, with baseball teams and, you know, first four games of a football season, try to figure out what you are. I'm like, hey, looking at my clock, it's about that time. <laughs> you feel me? Like, how many games going to mount before you start to say to yourself, uh, when is the, the Bulls that I saw with the toughness and the, uh, you know, passing of the basketball and, and deflections and five Javantes and Alex Caruso, the ha-ha-ha to the Lakers, and we got your guy, and DeMar DeRozan is sticking his middle finger up at all the naysayers, and Zach Levine is finally an all-star, and, and, and Vooch used to carry a franchise in Orlando, and Yeah, those things have to stand up because more and more Chicago Bulls fans, like that last year of relevancy only sparked the interest. But there's still the aftertaste of what's happened with regimes prior and also hopes prior. And if they look around the Eastern Conference, and in Eastern Conference that Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley went with continuity, in that Eastern Conference, they're looking around and, wait a minute, the Boston Celtics don't have Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, uh, you know, a couple of other guys. They're out here winning games. This is the best team in the NBA right now. You know, the, the Milwaukee Bucks, they're figuring things out, but they still got Giannis, and they're winning games. Hell, the Sacramento Kings are out here beating teams like the likes of the Golden State Warriors and all these other squads because De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis are figuring it out. The Philadelphia 76ers, that monster in the middle, is making sure that some of Doc Rivers' inadequacies are being covered up. You know, some of the other things that are coming along, James Harden still, you know, they ain't going to never be James Harden from Houston, so get that out your head. But Tyrese Maxey ascending, like there's, there's things that's happening around this conference. Cleveland, <laughs> now Cleveland went and... They they got themselves a nice coat of ass wax, you know, and the little getting a little too big for their britches ran up against a real team that sat them down real quick in Milwaukee. But still, you look at what Cleveland's doing. <laughs> you look at uh, hell, b- a Bulls of for uh, 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 Bulls of Christmas past. Larry Markinen is running around in Utah, loving his NBA life. Like there are storylines that are happening all around the NBA with teams that you didn't think would do it, teams that you did think would do it and are bouncing back from adversity. And then you got the Bulls. Then you got the Bulls. Like the spotlight is a weird place because every once in a while that spotlight comes back around to you. Like, oh, remember this team that we were championing last year before the injury? Let's check in on them. And what are they checking in on right now? A team that is given some laissez-faire efforts by their own admission in this last week. A team that has lost close basketball games. Like every single way you can lose a, a basketball game over this last week, the Bulls have engaged in it. So 
to the Bulls fans out there that have flooded my timeline with, you know, anger and fury and trade this guy and trade that guy and, you know, questioning Mark Eversley, questioning Arturis Karnaschovas. Listen, I get it. Trust me, I get it. Because the Bulls right now, and, and more importantly, as of recent, haven't given you enough to not feel that way. It's real easy. It's real easy. You win basketball games, all of this stuff is off your, head, off your chest. All of it. People looking at your coach funny. People looking at your best offensive player funny. People looking at your future and the guy that you are tied to in a max contract situation funny. All those things are alleviated by better effort and winning basketball down the stretch, which what was supposed to be, I thought, part of the continuity the theme of continuity is, okay, you ironing things out. When we get into these situations next year, oh, we, we press play on it. Can't wait for them. And in endgame situations this season, they've, they've come up short. And now we're talking about the offense. Those defensive net rating numbers are going to come down. Please believe that. They got off to a, a good start against a really, really tough schedule. But as this schedule kind of balances out and what I see and what, you know, some of the, the people who cover this team has seen that just isn't sustainable. Like, let's face it, man, they, they've played an attacking style of defense in a lot of ways the way Jim Boylan did in his last year that people were making fun of with Wendell Carter Jr. and Chris Dunn. They're having to junk things up on defense to get some kind of offense going because their running game right now, if they can get it going in any kind of consistent manner, is the easiest way they can score buckets with a seven-foot center down there. So I get it, Bulls fans. I get it. <laughs> and you have every right to feel the way you feel because this team has played below expectations. And that's all we wanted as a fan base, is expectations to rise so that we could see the truth, so that you see what's actually going on out there. And again, if all of this is saved by Lonzo Ball, well, then that means all of it could have been saved before Lonzo Ball gets back, too, to me. Lonzo Ball is a fine basketball player, fine basketball player, but that kind of loss shouldn't change how you play. It can change how you execute, right? It could change, obviously, the talent level, the experience level, the things he's got in his mental Rolodex defensively, how, you know, his, his overall being changes the team, especially when it comes to moving the basketball. He, he puts a lot of energy into the ball in terms of moving it. You know, he's one of those guys that if you're not looking, you're going to get hit in the back of the head with the basketball. He gets the ball and he pushes it up. And I appreciate him. His talent can't be understated. But at the same time, and this is no shade to him, it shouldn't be overstated either. Lonzo Ball is a fine basketball player. But guess what? You got a bunch of fine players running around out there. You got a bunch of guys who have played with each other now for a year plus. So when Bulls fans are coming and, you know, starting to uh, sharpen up those pitchforks and, and, and getting those torches nice and dry, like, I get it. I understand because they expected more from this team early on. And they damn sure don't want to hear about effort on, on, a, on a random night against the back-to-back MVP. They damn games sure don't in. want to hear that. Yeah, 15, don't, 15 damn sure don't want to hear in. that. No, nah, nobody want to hear that shit. Man, on, I'm talking man. about they, they, you, they're putting so much pressure on the fourth best player. Yeah. The fourth best player is supposed to save this team. Get out of here. In, in, what, in what world? 
in NBA history are you waiting for the fourth best player to lead you to winning ways? When has that ever happened? I understand the importance, Alonzo, and, and I think you do and, and everybody else does. But my point overall, and it was last pod, it'll be until this, this team kind of writes the ship. You can't put that much pressure on a player coming back from this long a layoff, too. Like it'd be nice if you 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 had yourself a you know a five or six game over five hundred kind of standing so that you can not just ease him in, but make sure that he understands he doesn't have to be that guy either. The moment Lonzo Ball lands, the moment he lands on the practice floor at Advocate, in the next however many weeks, whatever it's going to be, it's going to have to be all all systems go, and you risk other things being that way. So. Yeah, this is a weird time right now if you're a Bulls fan. And like I said, I get it. Time for some commercials. Bears talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. That kick is good for the win. Fade to black. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. How you doing? I can't complain, brother. I can't complain. It's good to see yeah, you. Good. good to talk to you, man. Yeah, you too, bud. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Uh... I I don't know what the hell's going on with the NFL because there's a whole bunch of topsy-turvy divisions and nobody knows who's going to make the NFC playoffs. But I look up 10 weeks into the season and the Atlanta Falcons are, I, I love this this uh, category, in the hunt. Uh, what the hell is going on down in the A? Because I thought this was the year that you should be auditioning for Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. What's going on down there, man? I think we all thought that was going to be the case. I mean, let's be clear, golf, they're not good. No. Like, do not be, like, in the hunt is everybody in the league because, especially the NFC, we know there's no great teams. This division, especially the NFC South, everybody's in the hunt. So, are they better than we thought? Yeah. Are they coached better than we thought? Probably. But are they good? No. I mean, they, this team is $80 million in dead cap. Marcus Mariota is the same guy that he was in Tennessee. Peaks and valleys. He'll drive you nuts. He'll give you good moments, but then remind you why he's not supposed to be a starter. Uh, they're four and six. I mean, maybe they're a game better than, than they should be, or maybe two games better, but they're not a playoff team. They're not good enough to win the division. If Tampa just figures anything out, like being 500, that's good enough in the division. So uh, the only way you can explain it is they're a little better than we thought. They're coached better, but they're still not good. See, these are the takes, ladies and gentlemen, that I miss driving around the A listening to Chuck and Chernoff. My man, Matt Chernoff, joining us here on the Full Go podcast. So if that is the case, how, you know, being around Atlanta Falcons fans for, was it, two years that I was down there, was just trying to figure out what was important, why it was important, and how important it was. And, and of course, Georgia football is a lot different than Atlanta Falcons football. What What is the fan base like dining on these days, if, if that is the case, that you're supposed to be in a hunt for the most important position in the in sports, you know, damn near at quarterback. But you also, you know, it's an event town and in a town that if, you know, things feel good, you rock with it. Like, what are the fans saying right now about this Falcon squad? It's this weird place, golf, and I think Chicago fans can recognize this. When you don't have a quarterback... <laughs> You don't have a feel for your football team, right? I mean, the Falcons have been kind of a grease fire for most of their existence. But the one thing, for the most part, is they've had stability at quarterback, right? Yeah, Matt Ryan for 14 years. 
before Mike got let off, you had Mike Vick for five years. So for nearly two decades, you kind of knew what you had at quarterback. And as you said, when Mike Vick was here, the city's on fire. Mike Vick sells the place out. When the Falcons are good, even with Ryan, you had Julio Jones, you had a fun offense, they would do well. But it's very hit or miss on this team right now. The diehard Falcon fan's been punched in the face for five years. He'll never forget what happened on that Sunday night in Houston in the Super Bowl. So they, they combine that with the fact that they can't lose normal. Like when they lose, it's got to be gut-wrenching, embarrassing, some stat that you always hear about no team who's ever blown a lead like this, right? That's what the Falcon right. fan is in the nerve. But now this is what I mean as the Chicago fan. Like Chicago, I went through the list of Chicago Bears quarterbacks since the Falcons had Vic and Ryan. And it's like the Kyle Ortons and the Craig mm-hmm. Krenzel. And here's a minute of Cordell, uh, Cordell Stork. Um, we're arguing in this town whether a journeyman quarterback should uh, start over a third round draft pick in Desmond Ritter. That's as bad <laughs> as it gets. Like there are people that have convinced themselves that Desmond Ritter is the savior. And I'm, I'm telling them, folks, if he is, bully for the Falcons, but he would be the exception to the historical rule. Third round picks are typically backups in this league who don't have a chance to be the franchise quarterback. Doesn't mean you shouldn't hope for Desmond Ritter, but golf, we're arguing over Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter. This life sucks. Hey, listen, as a fan of a team like you just mentioned, who's gone through quarterback after quarterback after quarterback and hell coming into this year with Justin Fields and everybody saying, hey, why don't you use his legs so he can taste some offensive success? And then next thing you know, those throws that we saw at Ohio State and then before that, Georgia might come to fruition. It's finally starting to happen over these last few games or so and watching him uh, watching him emerge. And now we get into that weird place of like tank victories where they do well, but you lose and gain draft status. And I'm like, wait a minute, guys. You got the quarterback. So I want to see the evaluation part of this thing where some of these games are pulled out and then you never know because I don't know about tanking for a wide receiver or tanking for an offensive tackle, but we've talked about this in the pod. So we're we're in a different place right now when it comes to quarterbacks in this city. Here's the interesting thing, right? So Fields is the guy I wanted two years ago. Falcons were going on the end of the Matt Ryan era. And this is a very confusing uh, front office for the Falcons that had convinced themselves that Matt Ryan had three or four more years. They didn't just say it. They put their money where their mouth was. They restructured his contract. And the funniest part, before they get into the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes and sold their soul, they were going to do it again with Ryan. They were about to push more money back because they thought Matt was going to be three or four years here. So then they sell their soul for Deshaun Watson. They don't get him. Then Ryan says, I want out because you've embarrassed me. So here you are now. You draft Kyle Pitts instead of taking Justin Fields. You draft Drake London. They have these two racehorses, these six foot five, six foot six monsters that they don't use because they run the ball at a ridiculous rate. Marcus Mariota is just a very average accuracy quarterback. I would have much rather the Falcons taken Fields. I'm always a believer in this. Uh, the situation is as important as who you take. I think the Bears have failed Fields up until now. Bad O-line play, sketchy coaching, no weapons. So all of a sudden, they're starting to put some of those pieces together. And isn't it weird? He started to look like he can play. Right. 
Right. And not just weird, he's breaking NFL records. Yeah. With, with, with a skill, too, by the way. Like, this wasn't a guy who, uh, you know, ran for his life and then all of a sudden threw a pass every once in a while. Like, we're watching a dude who's all the 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 attributes and the, the raw materials that we talked about at six foot three, 230 pounds. It was because it was like, oh, by the way, he's a thrower of the football and he's this athletic marvel. And now he's running all over the place and you're getting plays off of that because defenses have to defend differently and now comes the counterpunch and I'm looking forward to seeing what Arthur Smith and that and that Atlanta Falcons defense does because if you play man against him he doesn't have a whole bunch of man beaters outside of Darnell Mooney and if you play zone against him then he is going to have to learn how to take the cheese and go down the field methodically which so far in his career early on in his career that's the next part of the evaluation so I'm just happy that we're at this point now where it's not like oh he's just some running back playing quarterback he was never that he was never that at Ohio State. He was never that coming out of high school when he went to Georgia. By the way, he, he is going to run all over the Falcons defense. Falcons defense <laughs> is one of the worst in the league. It's been that way for several years. But there's a chance, like you said, Goff, on some break, broken plays. And I, I said this about Mariota to some degree. Mariota's better off structure, off script. Mm-hmm. And I think Fields mm-hmm. is the same way. Where Justin, I think you do Justin some disservice when you have him sit in the pocket and go through a bunch of regressions. I mean, he can't do it and get better at it. But I think Justin's going to have success Sunday when he's off script and the Falcons are so worried about that run game, where you have a linebacker or a corner come up and there's going to be somebody running free, whether it's Claypool or Cole Komet, where you're just going to have guys wide open. Speaking of bad defenses, though, this this uh, this Bears defense without Robert Quinn and without Roquan Smith, I mean, you know, we've seen cover two, two high safety defenses forever under the Lovey Smith there. And all you know as a Bears fan was Brian Erlacher was a freak because he could drop back as far as, as any safety could and, and also have the closing speed that a player his size shouldn't have. So you had a whole middle third of the field that was covered off. And on top of it, you had guys who would get to the quarterback with only four. This defense doesn't hold, blitz a whole lot. Did a little bit more in this last Lions game, but this front seven is full of a bunch of backups, man. Like Jack Sanborn had a terrific game. I love the guy out of Lake Zurich, right? You know, undrafted. But man, after a while, if you're not making plays with that front seven, which they haven't made over the last few weeks, hell, when they had Roquan the game before they traded him, that Cowboys game was an abomination. So I think, I think Marcus Mariota, I think Kyle Pitts, I think Drake London, I think that running game is going to get whatever they want. I think this is going to be a a little bit of a shootout on Sunday. Yeah, it could be. It could also be a two-hour game, like with both teams <laughs> running the football right. so much. You might you have to force, you know, Fox to take some TV timeouts. <laughs> now, I agree with you. The Falcons will run the ball. They run the ball well. Mm-hmm. I give Carolina credit last Thursday night. They held the Falcons in check, and Atlanta still ran for about 40. So they're going to run it. The question becomes Mariota each week. And, and Goff, he is a roller coaster. I talked to people in Tennessee, and they said, this is exactly who Marcus was. He just, he has... You know, whether it's just boring talk like poor footwork when it comes to setting his feet and throwing to receivers, like he's got six foot six, two hundred and forty pound Kyle Pitts, who has the worst accuracy target rate in the in the league. There's not wow. one receiver slash tight end who has fewer passes thrown on target to him than Kyle Pitts, which is mind boggling. But that's just how inaccurate at times Marcus can be. Like he'll play a great quarter. He's had quarters this year where he's eleven for eleven, and you're like, oh my god, he looks the part. And then he'll have quarters where he's two for 12. You just don't know in-game what you're going to get. And then Thursday night against Carolina, he made some of the more reckless rookie-type throws. That I, and I was like, play Desmond Ritter at this point. He threw a ball from his back. Like yeah. a turf up in the air that was like, there's just there's no alibi for it. So 
I think Marcus is in a place where he realizes his time is getting short. So let me take some chances, try to show that I can hold on to the job. And he's not going to ultimately. Like there's a chance in this game he gets pulled if he's struggling early. Mm, that's, that's something to watch. Before we get off the Falcons here and, I, and I'll let you go, uh, I, every time we do this with a, an, an opposing team's observer, I ask about a player that that team or that fan base may know about that the, the locals here in Chicago may not know about that jumps off the screen. You mentioned Kyle Pitts. Drake London has one of the better catch percentages in all the NFL in terms of no drops. Uh, those are the guys that we know about. Obviously, Marcus Mariota being the second pick overall in the draft that Jameis Winston draft. But who are some of the guys that Chicago fans might get introduced to that you guys down there have been watching over these last 10 weeks make plays? So I'll give you two names to watch. One is, and he's a, it's not an easy name to say once you don't know, but... Is it Ebikidi? Lamede Zacchaeus. Okay. Lamede's a good player. Like, he's just a little dude. He always gets open. They don't throw him the ball a ton, but he, he seems to make plays 20 yards down the field whenever he does. So he's number 17, keeps Zacchaeus in mind. And then the interesting thing for the Falcons is when Cordero Patterson went down, and Cordero's been a godsend. I mean, they, everybody's fallen in love with Cordero. You guys know he's a lovable dude. Arthur Smith has used him beautifully. But when he went down, they started splitting carries between Tyler Algier, who was a fifth-round pick this year at BYU, who's been really good, and then this undrafted free agent, Caleb Huntley. Like they, now, I don't know. Maybe it's as simple as when you have a mobile quarterback, the numbers game in the box works out for you. Combined with Arthur Smith, who schematically draws some stuff up in the run game. But golf, they run the ball well, with even without Patterson, with Huntley and Algier. So I would tell you, those two guys, even when they're in the game, they can break off big runs. How's everybody feeling about those Atlanta Hawks? I mean, that DeJounte Murray, big pickup. Guys are still trying to figure out how to play with each other. Well, what's happening right now with the Hawks down there? So uh, here's where I am on the Hawks, and I'm in a weird place. They're going to be better than they were a year ago. But like, I, I feel like everybody's goals have shifted. Everybody was on cloud nine when they made the Eastern Conference Finals run two mm. years ago. That okay, this is the jumping on point. So here we are two years later, everybody's like, they're better than they were last year. And I said, but that's not the goal anymore. The goal is Trey Young's had during the prime of his career. I like the DeJounte Murray deal. They paid too much to get him in the way of assets, only because now they don't have any draft picks left to go do other stuff. And they made it very clear. Tony Wrestler has a net worth of $6.2 billion. Billion with a B. They traded Kevin Herter this offseason. And Kevin's not a great player, but he's good. But they traded him in a salary dump to stand to the luxury tax, which Goff, once my owner tells me his business decisions come before his basketball decisions, I think you're stuck in a place where they'll be good. But they're nowhere close to the top tier. Boston's the best team in the East by far. They just came in here without Marcus Smart, without Malcolm Brogdon, without Robert Williams. They haven't had Gallo all year. That team is so deep and talented. I think Milwaukee, when they get Middleton and Drew Holiday healthy, they're the best, the second best team. The Hawks are in that next tier, and I don't think there's anywhere close. And if they're not willing to go into the luxury tax, it's not my money, but I'm also not worth $6.2 billion, then they're going to be stuck in this second tier of good. Fun to watch, but no chance to make a deep run of the postseason. And that sort of stinks, because the Hawks fan lived that life in the 80s and the 90s where they're always right. good, but right. the Bulls were dominant, or the Celtics were great. Or, you know, the Pistons were great. And if they're not willing to dip into the luxury tax, this is their team. And that that's good. It's just not great. What's this offseason looking like for Braves fans? Uh, I saw the Rangers deal that was made. Of course, you know, Spencer Strider is is a phenomenon nationwide. There's a collection of young talent in Atlanta, of course, coming off of a World Series run a couple of years ago. What, what, what's the feeling right now going into this offseason? 
I think Braves fans are thrilled. They hate the way it ended last year. Um, but a couple of things. So Rick Kranitz, the uh, pitching coach of the Braves, was on an interview uh, on satellite radio, and he said Max Freed, going into game one of the postseason, had, had the flu, said he was down 15 pounds. So the timing of your ace getting sick, he left the, uh, the final start of the year against the Mets throwing up in the fifth inning was just literally sick for a week and a half. Mm-hmm. So have him healthy for game one. You mentioned Strider. Strider was coming off an oblique and had to pitch for six weeks. Not using excuses, the Phillies beat the hell out no. of the break. Right. First, right? But it reminds you of how much stuff you need to be right when we get into October. I think Braves fans feel great about where this thing is between Freed and Strider and Kyle Wright and Austin Riley and Ronald Acuna. Like, this thing is stacked. The question is, are they going to re-sign Dansby Swanson? And it's a very similar situation to Freddie Freeman. The Braves are going to be a top-five payroll but at the same time, the way Alex Anthopoulos has structured it, golf, it's interesting. Nobody's going to make more than $22 million. So his thought is, I want to have as deep and talented a roster. So give me 10 guys who are making mm-hmm. 18 to $22 million. But if the Braves are going to sign Dansby, it might cost you $26 million, $28 million. Somebody might overpay. And Dansby's good. He's not great. So I don't know if Alex wants to do that. It's the same reason why Freddie Freeman's not here. Mm-hmm. Braves made Freddie what they thought was a very competitive offer. As it turned out, he didn't get a better offer from the Dodgers. They just, they backloaded a bunch of money, deferred it, and he ended up squeezing the Braves where the Braves went for the Matt Olson deal. So what happens with Dansby will be the interesting thing. Otherwise, it's as deep and talented a young roster as there is in baseball. But the crapshoot of the postseason about whether you're healthy and hot will always determine how many championships they can win. All right, brother. I know you got a lot going on. You got a daily radio show. You got a pod. You got everything happening. Hey, let me tell you this. I, I dude. Hey, I hope I, Chicago I, realizes what they have in Jason Goff. Hey, man, I was I was just about to tell you when I got down to Atlanta, you were the standard. You and Chuck were the standard then, and this is from my consumer ears, right? And and what I respect in in the craft, and you guys continue to be that. You are one of the better dudes in the industry, and anytime you need me, you know I'm always there, and I appreciate and like, you showing up here, brother. Came down here, it was it was refreshing to hear somebody who was young and talented. <laughs> pop in here and give some opinions, which always ruffles some feathers in Atlanta. Like Chicago should understand, Atlanta is a very soft media market. <laughs> very easily. You know how this goes around this town. So yeah. I guess Chicago's lucky to have you and, and I'm always a big fan. So anytime you need me, I'm there. I appreciate you, MC. Thank you so much for jumping on with me, brother. Talk soon. Matt Chernoff right here on the Full Go Podcast. It's the Full Go I saw your tweets during the the performance during the coronation, during the arrival, you know, three weeks in a row, putting points up, three weeks in a row, getting losses, making some Bears fans happier than it it really seems possible in, in the stretch of losses. But I want to talk to you about Justin Fields and about this Bears offense and where it goes from here, uh, because you are one of the, the people I trust, not just at the ringer, but one of the football minds that I trust on the Twitter timeline and social media, your stuff. I read it every time you throw something out. Uh, and speaking of, before uh, we get to the Bears, I want to get to your thoughts on the game that we watched tonight, Thursday Night Football, Titans versus yeah. Packers. And, and you wrote about the Titans offense, right? And, and Defense, how, actually, yeah. I'm sorry, the Titans defense, right? Yeah. And, and, and how Mike Vrabel has 
you know, for whatever reason, this Titans thing over the last couple of years, they, they don't feel like they should be winning as many games as they do, but situational football, running the football, being as as good as they are in the red zone, especially on offense over the last couple of years, they, they get a win tonight against a Packers team who, let's face it, um, is in disarray, to say the least. You know, the, the one game against the Cowboys didn't really solve much, but what are the Titans right now? Yeah, you want to figure out what culture actually is in the NFL because a lot of coaches say the word. You want to see what it is? Watch the Tennessee Titans under Mike Vrabel, man. Uh, Mike Vrabel, John Robinson, the general manager, said, we're going to build a very large, very physical football team. I mean, look at their draft picks, right? They're, just, they're finding the biggest cats they can find, man. Just Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown. They had Corey Davis already in the building. Look at that, like, again, the first rounders. They had Isaiah Wilson. He didn't work. Yeah. He's like a 6'9", 3'10", tackle. Caleb Farley, corner, 6'2", <laughs> 210. Where are the bigs? We're going to be real big. We're going to be real physical. And we're going to play that brand of football. Right yeah. now, they've figured out ways to make that work in the margins. Right. Like, all right, we, we do need some some change ups. We've got our Harold Landry's of the world. Like David Long won that starting middle linebacker job. He's like 5'11". So it's not across the board, but good players went out. Right. And they put their players in positions to succeed. And then, you know, three years ago, you got A.J. Brown, you got Corey Davis, Ryan Tannehill. You just traded for him. who's was another big guy. Right. Tannehill's like a 6'5", 240 quarterback. Arthur Smith's the OC, and you realize, man, we, we, we're we really good in the passing game. Play-action pass is awesome. They were a, a still a run-heavy team, but they got to early down play-action pass. Tannehill was like fifth in the league in EPA per play. Like, they were a passive team three years ago. Jen, last couple years, more Derrick Henry uh, carries. Like, Corey Davis is out the building. AJ, we're bringing Julio. doesn't work. Now, AJ Brown's out the building. Now, they're run-heavy, more screen-heavy, not as much play-action. They try to get it going a little bit more tonight with a lot of success. You saw Traylon Burks get back healthy. But they've changed the way they play on offense such that they're not winning with offense. They were the last offense by DVOA coming into this game. Now they're winning with defense. Shane Bowen gets promoted. Jim Schwartz is brought in, right? Defensive assistant. Make this four-down front really good. Jeffrey Simmons starts having career years. Harold Landry starts having career years. Here goes down. Danico Autry, free agent. You know what Danico Autry is? He's just another big guy, man. He's one of the biggest <laughs> defensive guys <laughs> of life. So they, they, they know what they want to be, and they yeah. coach the guys and get them in, in position to succeed. And so there's, there's a clear culture in Tennessee such that they win sometimes with offense, sometimes with defense. It's always gritty. It's always nasty, but it looks the way they expect it to look. When they get you into that deep water, they get into that ugly one-score fourth-quarter game, man, they've been there a lot more than you have, and they know what to do with themselves. Uh, the voice you're hearing is Ben Solak from The Ringer. I expect his uh, Chicago sports radio appearances to skyrocket because this is the breeding ground and the proving ground for guests to be poached. Uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to hearing Ben all over Chicago sports radio after we get into this bear stuff because I saw the tweet that I was referring to at the outset of this thing. And you are in and you are excited about what you've seen out of Justin Fields. Now, the beginning of the year, I was saying that this kind of shit should have been happening, right? Use his legs, more design runs, change the launch angle, change the platform from which he's throwing, um, you know, get get into the, to the space of him creating separation, whether it be from him and an oncoming pass rush by changing where he's throwing the ball from or also creating throwing angles, right? Scheming stuff up. And over the last few weeks, we've seen that out of Luke Getty and Justin Fields. But now it's getting to the other side of it where these things are starting to pop up, whether it be on the timeline or people having actual conversation of, is he only a runner? And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of befuddled because seeing him at Ohio State, right, and knowing that he coming out of high school was not, not, 
considered, well, he was a dual threat quarterback, but Georgia recruited him to be a drop back type of quarterback who could also run around. So I think he's right now just maximizing his athletic potential, tasting some success, getting first downs and scoring points while he's waiting for the cavalry to come, which is more offensive help. What are you seeing from him that you like? What is sustainable and what needs to be worked on before he starts to accumulate too many hits, even though he's killing people on the goal line as the Detroit Lions safety? Yeah, he's that's right. He's building that base, right? Like he has been better as a passer since he started being used more as a runner. And I don't like there's, you know, I think there's probably conversations the coaching staff has had with him. The the time that they had between that that loss to the the Washington football team, the commanders, and then the mm-hmm. win over the Patriots, 10 day difference, a little bit of a mini buy. You have the opportunity to kind of sit down as a coaching staff, reassess some things, change the way you do stuff. And that's why you see bang, Monday night football. 10 design quarterback runs. That's where you see that big jump, right? So I'm sure some of it is coaching in terms of how he throws the football, but he's passing better since he's been running better. Why? Because he's more confident. He just feels better. Like, they remember what it was after the Washington game? Remember what he was talking? Where he was like, this just sucks, man. Like, he, you had a, a very talented player who's just frustrated with where the offense is. So, all right, let's let him run. Let's let him hit some guys. Like, I don't know if it was Getsy's thought. It feels was like, I need this or whatever it was, but... Uh, let's let's use his legs. Let's just get him better in the flow of the game. And now, like he's more decisive when he throws. He's he says, "All right, I'm going to take the the route right now." He still has, you know, he still misses receivers. There's still inaccuracy. There's still the stuff to clean up. But he's just so much more comfortable in the offense. He feels like he's in the flow of the game. So there's a big level of confidence there that just makes it much more clear as to what this player was athletically, what this player was like foundationally, what you draft him out of Ohio State with the multiple clay is because we're seeing a lot of quarterbacks run a little bit more than they have in past seasons, right? Like Daniel Jones with Atlanta scrambling a lot. Marcus Mariota with the Falcons is scrambling a lot. Nobody holds it. Like when Justin Fields tucks the football, it's different, right? It's not like, oh, this is nice. On third and seven, he can go get us nine yards. This is he tucks the football and then he races Jeffrey Okuda to the end line and wins. Like that's not, there's not a, like, even with the way Lamar runs, even the way Josh Allen runs, Jalen Hurts runs, they don't have that straight line speed. They don't turn those plays into 60-yard touchdown runs. So, A, we get to run him and, and, and get his confidence up, get him in the flow of the offense. B, we get to run him, and we don't just like we don't just get you know a first down. I mean, in, in the Vikings game, he had the huge scramble called back. In the Washington game, he had the huge scramble. In the, the Dolphins game, he had a large touchdown run. In the Lions game, he had a large touchdown run. Like, this is a explosive run, 40-plus yard run player. It's it, it, it's one of the most unique running weapons that we have in the league. So it doesn't just help us, it helps us a lot. The third and final most important thing is that uh, now that you have this as your base, you get to play wrinkles off of this. You get to play, you know, you get, you get to uh, start to build and develop the offense with counters off of like this backfield action you're showing and the potential for fields to carry it. There's finally something defenses are afraid of, right? You haven't, like, think about the Nagy era. Everybody just lined up the same way and just played the same time. You weren't afraid of anything this offense gave you. A little bit early in the season with, like, the traditional running game, but now certainly with, like, the Fields running game, there's, like, defenses have to be scared. Like, you're going to see more zone because you can't really play man against a scrambling quarterback like Fields. The Bears offense is finally dictating. It's finally creating. It's saying, like, we are X. You have to deal with this. They're finally establishing and putting defenses on the back foot. That's going to help Fields out so much more because now you're going to be able to say, hey, Justin, on first and 10, we expect zone. So we're going to call these beaters. And this is what you run against cover two. You start to you start to like, figure out the blueprint. Here's step one, right. here's step two, or step three. You're finally building on something. 
So that is all the stuff that is sustainable going forward. What you mentioned, some of the things that he needs to clean up, but what do you see specifically that he's now going to see? Because let's face it, defensive coordinators aren't just rolling out here to get embarrassed by Justin Fields running for 125 yards every single game. So whether it be guys giving the wink and the nod to some of these defenders, like, hey, listen, he, he's got to pay for some of this shit that he's doing out here. And I will not be mad if you get a 15 yarder just to set the tone or you start to see more zone and have to have him methodically work his way down the field. What do you think the counter punch is going to be here from Arthur Smith's Atlanta Falcons and now going forward over the next eight weeks. This Falcons game is going to be really, really interesting. We talked about it a little bit on, on the Friday preview show for the, uh, the Ringer uh, because Dean Pease, who's the defensive coordinator for the Falcons, has historically been a really good defensive coordinator against option teams and quarterback scramble teams. Uh, he was uh, uh, handling Colin Kaepernick. He was one of the first defense coordinators to really get a feel on the Kaepernick offense back in the day. And then he was the Titans defensive coordinator when they would play Lamar in the playoffs, right? They, they, the Titans-Ravens, like, weird rivalry that's kind of happened last few years. That was Pease versus Lamar. That was Pease really making this offense struggle. So what he's going to do is he's going to send uh, uh, pressure at you from a ton of different spots. He's going to send guys from depth. He's going to send guys off the edge. He's going to send guys up the middle. He's going to make your blocking schemes confusing. He's not going to let you read things out and have it be neat and have it be clean. He's going to make things messy. So the first thing for Justin Fields is risk management. And this has been when Fields was good at Ohio State, when he was bad with the Bears, when he was good with the Bears. Over the course of his entire career, one of the big issues for Fields has been risk management. Fields does not like to admit that a play is chalked. Fields does not like saying, all right, fine, I'll go to second and 10. He said it himself, the mm-hmm. big six against the Lions. He said, yeah, that was pretty stupid. You know, he knows. But he, he does not like to admit that a, a defeat, right? Because he always thinks he can scramble out of a play. He always thinks he can make something happen. So he's going to get his. You're going to have blitzes that arrive. They're going to get your tackles in the backfield. Just hold on to the football. No turnovers. And if it's second and 13, it's second and 13. So this week, certainly, but across the course of the rest of the season, risk management is a big one. Uh, secondly, as a passer, talked about how he's become more decisive. He was very indecisive to start the year. He's better now. It's still not where you'd like for him to be, right? Uh, the willingness to pull the trigger on routes when they're open right now is critical. Fields likes to see it and then throw it. And that speed works for some routes. It works when you have like a strong arm. It can work like, you know, on one-on-one coverage down the field. But when you're trying to throw, you know, Cole Komet on a sit route between two zone defenders, man, you got time to see it and then throw it. Ball's got to be out on time. You have to expect, you have to trust. And that's the thing about getting him in the flow of this offense, right? Is the, the, the positive feeling you get, the confidence you start to get makes you more likely to just grip it and rip it as opposed to when you're in this like Matt Nagy offense where like if you're not picture perfect every single time, it's screwed. You can't create anything afterwards. So I, I, I think we're seeing good signs there in terms of the, the grip and rip it, be decisive, deliver the ball. But that that is going to be the biggest thing for him to improve on as a pure passer. And then the last thing is for as much as he scrambles, he still takes a lot of sacks. And that's always going to be the exchange. There's, there's two sides to every coin, right? For as high scramble of a player as Fields is, and for as valuable as those scrambles are, he's going to be a high sack player, and those sacks are going to kill you. As far as you can pull the spectrum to the scramble side, you try. So that's the, that's the last thing with Fields, which I think this will always be the case in his career, like Deshaun Watson with the Texans, you know, Russell Wilson with the Seahawks. They're high sack rate players. Just the nature of how they play is going to be high sack rate. But Fields right now, like, leads the league in sack percentage by a wide margin. So if we could just get that down a little bit, that would help as well. As the last thing we have for you, man, I appreciate your time. The, the final form 
right? When he steps into his prime as a quarterback, where it's the the now year five to nine run or five to ten run where Justin Fields is at the, at the peak of his powers. What is this thing going to look like? Because the reason I asked you that is I think of when I see Justin Fields, Derrick Rose, and I think of Derrick Rose won a championship in high school by scoring two points, I believe, right? By by doing everything else on the court and not scoring. And then he goes to Memphis, and by the end of his run there, he's the best player on the court. He's drafted number one overall, and then he starts to score in the league because of a physical freak. He wasn't how talented he was. And I look back on it, I was like, but you know what? He's still got that passer in him. Well, obviously, you win an MVP. Some of that goes away because more responsibility is now put on your plate. For the template for the foundation that we have got right now for Justin Fields, where do you think this thing will be best um, used in terms of the evolution of him? Is it is it Cam Newton, Josh Allen vibes, or are we going to see a guy who, once he gets the stuff around him, doesn't have to go for 65, 55 yards a game and get three or four first downs? Is this the guy that now that he's tasted success, he is going to have to be this guy also be a passer, or is it going to be, he's going to be a passer and some of this stuff is going to be tailed off, if you'd have to guess. I Right now, the, the, the comparison I had for Fields coming out of college was Cam Newton, and I still think Cam Newton is the best comparison. Okay. The, the the reason for that is that the speed at his size is really quite something. Like when you watch Fields open open the, the throttle and go, like I'll, I'll remember that Lions run for as long as I live. <laughs> for a player that to be like a true two twenty five two thirty to accelerate like that, like there's the the list of running backs in the league. Like like Derrick Henry can't accelerate like that. He can't go from zero to sixty the way Fields did. That's just not regular. And that was the thing about Cam relative to like the RG3 era, the Colin Kaepernick era, even like with Lamar. It was just, every, as everybody, as every color commentator said, that guy's a defensive end and he's running this fast, right? Like that, that's the sensation you get watching fields. This guy's a linebacker and he's running this fast. The other thing about Cam is that Cam was always a little bit scattershot accuracy-wise, but had the arm, had the velocity, had the peak throws. And I think that's what you're going to see from fields as a passer across the course of his career. I think with uh, the way he he kind of his uh, his motion is a little bit elongated the way that he often throws outside of structure i think he's always going to have like a couple misses a game where you're like buddy whoa but overall <laughs> he's going to make enough peak throws that it's going to be worth it that's kind of always been his approach over the course of right. his career the cam comparison is is tricky because cam entered the league running very frequently and then as he got older did not tuck the ball as much right like Cam's all-pro season, he carried the ball 132 times over the course of a 16-game season. So a little bit less than 10 carries a game. The next year, he carried it 90 times, right? You're looking at Fields carrying like six to eight times a game with how much he scrambles. It's not that much. It really okay. isn't on, on the scale of quarterback running, especially as the league moves in that direction. The question is, what quality of hits does he take? Because for a lot of quarterbacks, when you look at like league-wide data, they uh, quarterbacks get less injured on scrambles. They're more likely to get injured on a sack because when they get sacked, they are being contacted. On a scramble, they get to dictate the contact. I can step out of bounds. I can slide. I can be the one who initiates, put my shoulder down. On a sack, you're getting blindsided. You're more likely to get injured. That's on a league-wide scale. When you watch Justin run, Justin likes contact. Yes, he does. (laughs) And an important part of Fields' career arc, whether he's like a five-year sensation where his athleticism is at the peak and he's, he's like creating incredible offense that he tails off dramatically, 
or if he puts together like a 10 plus year career will be when he reaches that point when he's 26, 27, 28, and he can't just bounce back from every hit the way that he used to, is he going to be able to change his play style? And we'll see. That's, that's, that, that's the one where like we can prognosticate as much as we want. It's about the coaches that are around Justin, the way that he gets discussed, the way that he uses his scrambles, because I'll remember that guy taking that shot to the ribs against Clemson in, in, in college football playoff and then coming back into the game heavy breathing, holding his side, throwing touchdowns. You're like, all right, I love yeah. a warrior. Protect yourself. So it, it, the career longevity thing is going to be the thing to watch. What kind of hits is he taking? Ladies and gentlemen, follow him on Twitter. It is at Benjamin Solak. He is uh, one of the best in the business. And like I said, you're you're going to get some calls from the city of Chicago because I uh, I enjoy your content. I'm sure people in this city, after they hear you a couple of times on this pod, will get to knowing and liking you as much as I do. Thank you so much for your time, brother. I appreciate you breaking it down for me. Thanks, Scott. You have a good one. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff. After a word from our sponsors. What up, world? It's Vic Spencer, and you're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. This shit is hilarious. Uh, Twitter really about to end. Dog. Like, for real, for real. Twitter is about to end. So I didn't see any of this. I didn't see any of this till I just jumped on not too long ago. Like, I didn't see the world coming to an end the way it, it had been over the previous six hours, especially with the layoffs and, you know, them laying people off and then asking them to come back to the building because they're locked out of certain things that they need access to to run the fucking site is hilarious, dog. Like, <laughs> I, like, like, I, you know, I don't know if people know this about me, but I'm a, I'm a little bit of a fan of chaos. Like, I, I like things to be, you know, I like, I like buttholes to be just pucking enough to be uncomfortable out here. Like, I like, I like synchronized puckerization out there. And then when Twitter starts to do this, first of all, you start to see everybody from every corner reacting, right? And, and mind you, th- how about, like, I don't know what it would be, but how about this being probably one of Twitter's most traffic days in recent memory, and it's all about the downfall of it. So Elon Musk is sitting there like, oh, look at my, look at my investment just working and, and moving. Oh, and oh, by the way, it's going to crash it because there's too many people talking about how it's going to crash because of me owning it. I know what Twitter has meant to me in my career and how it has helped me and how it has, you know, hurt me. Um, you know, I, I go back to the summer of LeBron. And in this city, running around, chasing down leads and getting people who were tied into uh, camps that, that were close to LeBron and then those people getting severed because LeBron's camp was trying to make sure that all the leaks had been plugged and all of a sudden I stopped reporting on LeBron and then I, I, I focused my attention to, uh, you know, the, the D-Wade and Chris Bosh uh, angle of it and you know, finding myself in random Chicago nightclubs talking to people that were close to the situation, like, like real, real, real close to the situation. And I'm like, oh man, this is cool. This is what the business should feel like. Like, oh, this every year is going to be like this. Right. And it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, but it put me in a position where I was uh, on a stage, like frankly, that maybe I didn't earn, but damn it, I was getting ready to dance on it. It didn't matter, 
right? I, I, I wasn't raised the traditional journalist way. I was raised in the industry, hands-on, on some, you know, D-Miles, Quentin Richardson shit, where it's like, all right, just throw the ass in there and figure out how to play basketball, right? Like, I spent one year in college and came home and jumped right into my internship at 670 to score, and then slowly but surely got up the courage enough to go out there and start collecting my own intellectual property. So my proprietary content, which, you know, if Dan Bernstein didn't teach me or tell me anything else, man, he told me, hey, get your own content and nobody be able to fuck with you. So that's what I did, running around with a tape recorder that I barely knew how to use and jumping on with hits on 670 to score. Like Twitter for me, I was at 2009, was that 2009? When did when was the summer of LeBron when 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 Bulls fans and everybody thought they had a shot? Was it two thousand and nine? I think it might have been because that was his sixth year. That was the year. That was the his year first after. year in Miami was was twenty ten, I think. Okay, so yeah, that, yeah. That, so that was so the summer, summer before of that year. Yeah. yeah, man, like that was a that was a wild time for the kid, and also like one of my worst moments with the you know Chris Bosh and D Wade, uh, you know, to the Bulls is imminent. That like that happened on Twitter, and boy, you talk about synchronized puckerization. Boy, have I have I ever looked at my phone and been like, oh shit! <laughs> like you just you just see you all of a sudden realize how big a fandom the Bulls fan base is. Just the way of crushing, like, hey, y'all, come look at this shit. And then all of them come to the tweet and all of them start to comment. And I'm sitting there sweating and rocking back and forth like Leo Mazzoni on heroin, just like, oh, no, they coming for me. Like, man, why why, do, why did my, my source in, 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 I won't say who's uh, camp, but why did my source in this camp please be right? Please, please, Jason. You, you probably should have double-checked this, but please, please be right. And I got my first real journalistic lesson, you know? So Twitter has been, um, you know, from from beginning this thing and following Rudy Gay and Dwight Howard. I, I believe Rudy Gay and Dwight Howard were my first two follows on Twitter, by the way. Like, that's how that's how ridiculous I was. But from beginning this thing to where it's come now, I mean, all the fights that that I've gotten into on that thing, all the time wasted on that thing, all the the death threats. I remember when Brian Erlacher said the shit that he said on Grant Hill's Instagram page when all of the, the protests and riots were going on and I screenshot it because Grant Hill was private at the time. I screenshot it and put it on Twitter and people thought I was like making Brian Erlacher out to be some like, you know, MAGA Republican, Trump-loving dude and then come to find out <laughs> that's exactly what he was on. But boy, did I have people on my ass like, how dare you desecrate the name of the great Brian Erlacher? I'm coming to your home. Like, I actually had that. I'll never forget that weekend. Not only did I fight verbally on the phone with a couple of his teammates and also talked to one of his teammates because one of his teammates thought I should actually have a conversation and sit down with Brian to get his point of view on these things. Like I also, (laughs) I also in that time, like people were threatening me on Twitter, like, like real threats, like so much so that I, you know, I took Jace over his mama's house and started to get on my A-team shit. Like, all right, let's batten down the hatches. Let's get some bean pies and some ammo and figure this thing out. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was weird. And it was all because of Twitter, right? So if these are the last days of Twitter, then, hey man, you know, I've enjoyed my time. <laughs> I've, uh, 
I've received the financial windfalls that I have because of Twitter in, in some way, shape, or form, right? Uh, the exposure is never as much as you think it is because you walk down any regular street and most of the people on that street ain't on Twitter. Like, like, like you go to any hood and people are like, hey, man, what the fuck is Twitter? Like, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on, I'm not on there with all them damn words, right? I'm on here with pictures on Instagram. I'm taking pictures of plates of bad food and putting them up on my, my IG, right? And the best thing is I see all these people jumping from Twitter right now to Instagram. And boy, is Instagram about to be washed. It was, it's been washed. It's been bad for about a good half a decade now. You got a whole bunch of media types who don't need to be taking pictures of a damn thing that are getting ready to get on Instagram for you. Like a whole bunch of people who think that their words were really in their art was really, I should say, was really their art and now about to get on Instagram and try to be that way and they're going to get the, the, you know, the the get the F out of here kind of treatment. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, Shout out to Twitter. And if it's done, it's done. Uh, I, I'll, uh, I catch y'all on MySpace or, you know, whatever, <laughs> what, 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 what are some of the other websites that are out there right now? Uh, Discord. Discord, <laughs> you know, blackpeoplemeet.com, like whatever, whatever else y'all got Reddit? out there. Reddit. Yeah. Nah, nah. I'm scared of Reddit. I'm really? low-key scared of Reddit. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a seedy enough place where it's like, I'm going to enjoy it too much. I'm scared of it because of me. I'm not scared of it because of the people. Like, I'm sc- I'm impulsive as hell. So I'm scared that I'm going to jump in there and just become one of these Reddit dudes who can't wait to get all my information and also, like, you know, pictures I shouldn't be seeing on there. So I want to I wanna, <laughs> I keep myself out of the Reddit world for as long as I possibly could. You know, one thing that I'm not going to miss about... uh something I learned just fairly recently, like in the last couple months, where, you know, you want to know the updates, you know, in this, you, yeah. of the, the sports teams, right? Man, don't put just Bears or just Cubs in the Twitter search bar. Just don't, man. I, there's, man. there's a lot of things you shouldn't put in the search bar <laughs> on Twitter. I'm like, what is a, I just want Chicago Bears news. What is, what is this naked man doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, you put bears in I Twitter. Just put bears. Oh, yeah. I put yeah, yeah, you fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, be careful. Yeah. So that's something yeah. I'm not that bad. Yeah. I'm I'm good from mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. Living and learn. Yeah, man. I have I have searched regular names and regular things and, and seen things like I also I was never privy to the porn component of Twitter. And obviously Damn. we all know that porn Damn. porn runs the entire internet. Like the reason why the internet is still a thing is porn. It ain't Amazon. It ain't none of this other bullshit that y'all lying to y'all what selves. Do you think hosts the porn sites? Amazon does. Yeah, that's probably. what I'm saying. It's, 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 it's porn. Is the porn? This the reason why our phones is big as hell. Like it's porn. Like porn fu- fuels everything. Porn is is the dope money of the internet, right? Man, so, I saw I saw Isaiah Rashad was trending one time. And I searched it, man. Yeah, you probably shouldn't have done that. I mean, if you wanted to, you should have done it. But the person that I know you to be, I don't know if you should have done that. Uh, yeah, man. Like I've searched, I've searched names. Like I've searched. Ho- random hosts that I know in the city of Chicago who have like very unique names on the FM side and caught things that I was like, hey, wait a minute. I didn't, I, well, did I not want to see this? You know, that kind of vibe. So yeah, 
Yeah, shout out to Twitter if this really is the death, which you know how it is. Twitter will live for another 15 years and it'll just be some weird watered down version that everybody talks shit about. But Twitter stopped being cool a little while ago too. I remember Wild Wild West Twitter where it was like anything was a go. And then... And then you let the think piece people in and you let all the other people in. You let the you let the people who want to talk crazy today ops and tell them where they coming in. Like you just let too many people into the club and it turned into a, a you know, a, a weird juice bar. So, um, yeah, shout out to Twitter if this is the death. And that being said, I actually threw something out on Twitter messing around and didn't think that I would get these this many replies. Uh, but. I asked people, you know, and I, and I tweeted out, if you had to get off one last Chicago sports take, whether it be hot or just your truth that nobody ever st- understood on this here Twitter machine, what would it be? And boy, did y'all show y'all ass on here. Like, not literally. Thank you. Yeah, we go back to Tony's Twitter searches again, but not literally. But man, y'all got y'all got really funky. Yeah, y'all did some things on here that I was even surprised at. Like, I'm usually not surprised by Chicago sports uh, fans, but yeah, yeah, y'all got in y'all back, and and I appreciate it because you know we we don't have mailbag segments here on the uh, Full Go Show. Hell, we barely do our voicemails. I believe we have one that will run before we get out of here. But yeah, you guys used this question as like a a Twitter voicemail reply bin. And you went off uh, here. Let me pull it up right here because, and, and by the way, we'll get to my thoughts on the, uh, the the Bears-Falcons game, which I know you guys are out there dying for. Um, and I'm saying that with all the sarcasm possible. Um, I actually retweeted a lot of these too, like, because they were some that were very, um, very interesting. Like, uh, you know, things that I would never, ever think of uh, from, from all the Twitter responses out there. Um, Justin Fields is the greatest quarterback in Bears history. Uh, okay, you know, got that out there. Uh, <laughs> this from at the Logan Trent. Justin Fields, already the best quarterback that we've had. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, uh, guy J.J. Stankovitz, who used to co- uh, to cover Bears football here in the city of Chicago, is now covering the Colts, I believe. In, in that town, said if the Sox built this joint instead of the new Sox part, they'd be like 75% more popular in the city. And that's with uh, whatever guaranteed rate or new Comiskey or U.S. Cellular Field, whatever you want to call it, facing the downtown skyline instead of not facing the downtown skyline, which, you know, I mean, he's got a he's got a he's got a point there. Th- there's some other ones that absolutely cracked me up. Tony, check this out. The worst trade in Chicago sports history was Taj Gibson, Doug McDermott, and a second round pick for Joffrey Levine campaign and a broken Anthony Morrow. Like, I love the fact that the descriptors put on there that a broken Anthony Morrow was thrown into that thing. Uh, Aldridge for Tyrus Thomas, you know. So people are getting their stuff off. How about at Max's Musings 94? Trading the Cubs World Series for Donald Trump's presidency was not worth it. It literally made me laugh out loud because in that moment, I thought of like Cubs fans sitting there during the rain delay on their hands and knees, like, hey, y'all. I do anything. Uh, and then all of a sudden, after Jason Hayward delivers his speech, Donald Trump just sits up like the Undertaker in his, you know, his, his bed full of like Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets, and he's like, "I think I should run for president." <laughs> yeah, man. So shout out to uh, Max's Musings for that. Um, 
This is from uh, James Fitz, you know, one of the uh, one of the good guys here in the city of Chicago, taking care of the youth, teaching. Uh, I think he's still over there at Morgan Park, if I'm not mistaken. He says, uh, not enough people know how good Ronnie Fields was. CPS athletes are different. They overcome so many obstacles. Red South is tougher than some Division Twos out there. And he ain't wrong, man. He ain't wrong. You know, I don't know. I don't know if that's a hot take, but that's definitely a take that uh, a lot more people need to know. The, the Ronnie Fields era at Farragut High School uh, with, before and, you know, what, with uh, Kevin Garnett was something to behold. Uh, this one here, <laughs> for all my 670 to score people out there, uh, this is from Steve Malcolm. When they were both on the score, I thought Wayne Randazzo was just Chris Ranji doing a weird voice. And y'all don't know how fucking funny that is, man. Like, <laughs> you don't know. You don't know how funny that is if you are not of the score culture and if you are not of, uh, you know, this city. So, you know, I guess you can kind of skip over that one. Um, this from O'Toole Patrick. When considering all things we want in our pro sports teams, winning storylines, branding, community, and fan engagement, the best team in the city is the Chicago Sky, and it's not even close. That is a, an astute point, right? Yeah, I, I can uh, back that. This from uh, at MTB81DPPVH, which is somebody's license plate, apparently. Uh, Matt Baumgartel says, Marcus Pfizer, along with Spiegel and Goff, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Marcus Pfizer, along with the Spiegel and Golf Show, never truly got a chance to thrive in Chicago. Both had all-star potential. Oh, look at you. Look at you. All the things that could have happened but never did. Compared to Marcus Pfizer. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> some bullshit, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> oh, this one from... At Franchise Davis, like one of one of my first followers, by the way, Jason Davis says, I couldn't have screamed harder for Halliburton and Bull Bull. I could draft better than the Bulls front office. Hey man, if you were if you were around at the time, y'all all know how I felt about Tyree. I will go down. The ship will go down with my love for Tyrese Halliburton. And look at him now, leading the league in assists, running around, being Ben Matherin's, you know, uh, you know. Escort to the rim. His Mark Jackson to his Reggie Miller down there in Indiana. Uh, so shout out to uh, Tyrese Halliburton. And shout out to you, Jason Davis, for uh, noticing that your boy was on the Tyrese Halliburton train very, very early. I hope we're going to get yours, Jason. Mine? Mm-hmm. Oh, my sports take? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, got, I, got, I got one I've been holding for the longest. Do Okay. Okay, this from at Harbs 2003. Dusty's worst managerial decision against the Marlins was in game one when he decided a lefty to face Mike Lowell was a better choice than a righty to face Lenny Harris. It never comes up when that series gets discussed. His love of Lenny Harris was absolutely baffling. Like, that's the shit that I love right there. Because it's like this dude, it got into him. You know, like when you think to yourself, you know what? This is what I've been wanting to get off the entire time. And if this is the last time that anything is tweeted on this godforsaken site then here it is damn it dusty trusted the brother lenny harris too long like those are the things man like that's the stuff right there uh this from at uh rico grande um 92 bulls beat the 96 bulls by 10 plus points we all know that the 92 team that beat the blazers was the best team that the bulls championship run ever uh ever had to me and probably to anybody else who was watching those games. Uh, Boylan and Boylan should be inducted immediately into the Boylan Hall of Fame. Also, the dribble handoff routine under Hoiberg was was a genius. There it is. Shout out to you for taking shots at some of our uh, Bulls misgivings over the year. Uh, This is interesting. 
This is from at DCJ7 says, Theo always knew he was one and done when he was building those Cubs. He pushed all in because he knew they were going to flop big, starting with Javi. That's why he bounced. Okay. An interesting take. Interesting take. Um, what else we got? This is from uh, at Michael Rantis. Frank Thomas was clean for his entire career. Come on, man. We all know that, right? That's why Big Frank stands alone with some of those giants in the 90s in terms of hitting categories. Um, this from at Dex underscore Roof. Chicago sports fan. Love losing the Cubs and to a lesser extent Sox and Hawks. Lost for so long and so hard that once they won, all the so-called lovable loser energy got concentrated into the Bears fandom. That's interesting. An interesting psychological breakdown of the suffering of Chicago sports fans. This from at BRoman30. If Derek never gets hurt, he ends up a Hall of Famer and the Bulls beat the Heat. Not that fire take, just my truth. Let me tell y'all something right now that we have to end. We have to end it. And if if Twitter dies tonight, hey, y'all, that Heat team could play the Bulls team. 10 times and that heat team in 10 series would beat the heat would beat the bulls 11 times okay there would be an extra loss in there somewhere okay i hate to keep trying to tell y'all this but they the series series wasn't that close <laughs> like we're not talking about some some seven game just nail biter okay their Derrick Rose was six foot eight and two hundred and sixty-five pounds. And in the fourth quarters of those games, their Derrick Rose stuck our Derrick Rose and the game stopped being cool. <laughs> okay. So like let's not do this anymore. Okay. Like that's my cry out to Bulls fans. Like I, you won't find a bigger Derrick Rose fan than me. All right. I got chided for it in my time at the score. Okay. I got I got called all kinds of names by by hosts and fans alike. <laughs> Derek wasn't ever gonna be LeBron in them. It wasn't gonna happen, y'all. Stop doing this. And I know I probably won't be allowed in certain Southside venues by saying this, and that's fine. That's fine. So I got too much money to be hanging out with y'all anyway these days. <laughs> but Derek was not gonna be that team (laughs) okay (laughs) okay stop it (laughs) stop it i don't care i don't care what you saw i don't care what you saw against the mavericks no 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 no. stop it that wasn't gonna happen y'all okay so let's just okay there we go all right we're good all right we can get back to it um what else we have here Bulls would have won the title that year if Rose didn't tear his ACL versus the 76ers. I think I just addressed that. Um, Patrick Ewing is putting Wes Unsell in the basket. No question. That's funny because that's what I used to say on the score and people would get mad at me because it was like, oh no, Wes Unsell was tough beyond belief. And I'm like, ah, did y'all see Patrick Ewing coming out of Georgetown? <laughs> like before Patrick turned into the fadeaway artist that he was? Yeah, stop playing with me. I don't care how tough you are, how big your ass is, how wide your base is. He'd have got his ass put in the rim, much like other dudes got put in the rim by Patrick Ewing before. Before he turned into a jump shot artist. But I digress. What else do we got here? Yeah, I, I'm glad this happened. Uh, Bulls should have drafted Draymond instead of Marcus Teague. We all agree with that. Uh, Alexi Ramirez should get more love than Jim Tomey from Sox fans. 
This is the shit. Yo. This is why I love it. <laughs> this is why I love one. people. Yes. <laughs> Out of nowhere, some dude just flew in off the top rope with his Alexi Ramirez love on the last days of Twitter. Like, this is why Twitter was the shit, right? Sammy, De- Sammy Sosa deserves a second chance at glory with the Cubs. Hmm. There was another one that also said that Sammy Sosa should be held in much higher regard than he is with the Chicago Cubs. And boy, am I all about it because you motherfuckers turned your backs on one of the dudes who was the only attraction for a very long time. And then when he went away, you started to really give a shit about winning and and started to turn that thing over into guys like Derek Lee and some of the other dudes that led led you to the run that you were, went on in 03. But man, stop playing with me. I, when I went away to school in 1998, I will never forget there was this kid who lived down the hall in, in Boomer 3, the dorm I stayed in. And every single day, he would run up on me because he knew I enjoyed sports a lot. He actually knew that I was a frequent caller at 670 to score as a kid when one of the two kids that they let on the station and he would run up on me every day without without hesitation and say, hey, man, did Sammy hit a homer today? Did, did Mark McGuire hit a homer today? And I'd, be, I'd have to fill him in. Like, I was his sports ticker. He was so into it. He was from Crystal Lake. And we were both, like, following the, the home run chase every single day. So while I was away, the city was going crazy. But come on, man. Sammy Sosa is definitely one of those dudes who should – be treated with a different level of reverence. A bunch of cowboys went crazy when ape shit on a, a on a boombox, and it's like one of the weirdest moments that's been celebrated by Cubs fans and, and observers alike forever. Oh, they busted Sammy's boombox just to show him that they didn't want his, you know, his bravado in the clubhouse. Meanwhile, this dude is hitting 57-plus bombs like six years in a row for your shit franchise. Like, stop playing. Stop playing, man. Knock it off. So... Yeah, there goes my little my little diatribe on Sammy Sosa. Uh, what else we got here? Bulls would have beat Cleveland and won the title in 2015 if the refs called that tech on David Blatt. Hey, guys. Hey, hey, guys. Guys, guys. <laughs> Everything that's happened in the NBA playoffs in this city over the last decade or so, a decade and a half, it's all been earned. <laughs> like, none of these were flukes, y'all. <laughs> like, like, we need to stop this. There are few, there, there is one game that, that allows the fewest amount of flukes to make it through, and basketball is it. <laughs> like, like, basketball is like, hey, uh, give me the two best and let's meet at the end of the year. That, that, that's it. So we can stop that foolishness, y'all. But I, I enjoy it. Um, I'm not going to read that one about Virginia McCaskey, although you're wild as hell and i'll laugh later about that um what else we got here as we uh end this little i guess twitter mailbag segment alex gonzalez doesn't get enough heat for the nlcs nlcs meltdown i'm i'm with that you know you had a lot of talk about bartman a lot of talk about dusty baker and how he handled the pitching staff oh by the way there's a game seven that could have been won by the way, like, I love the fact that we act like game six was the final game and it's all the heartbreak. No, no, you had a chance to come back and win another baseball game and you didn't, right? So, yeah, I'm with you. Ooh, at I Am Beater, Tadahito Aguchi is one of the most slept-on cogs of a world champion of all time. Now, that is the essence right there. That's what these, this question was made for. Because guys like Tadahito Aguchi should be mentioned. Um, Tibbs is the reason D Rose and Joe Kim Noah won't make the Basketball Hall of Fame, and he's just as big a reason as Gar Pax as to why LeBron and D Wade never signed with the Bulls. 
Hmm. Hmm. Play the conspiracy theory music right there. Oh, this one I love. Mike Dicker was overrated. Thank God. X. Oh, X. my God. Oh, and, and of course, with his recent, you know, revelations on how he feels about things and, and, and life. Uh, and hopefully Mike Dick is okay because it'll be my my luck that, you know, we're, <laughs> we're doing this and saying this and then something happens and then people come at me. That is your like, bag. Yeah, you already know. You already know. I put people in the dirt that ain't dead yet. So, you know, hopefully Mike and, and the family, everybody's good. You know, I don't want none of that smoke. I already went through that, you know, once with the Brian Urlacher people. Definitely don't want to have to go through it with you Mike Dicker people. Although, y'all are probably older, so I could probably just kick y'all in y'all hip and get away real quick because y'all probably suffering from osteoporosis or whatever the hell goes on with old folks. So, what else we got here? Um, Lovey Smith should still be coaching the Bears. Well, I mean, then he'd have, like, the longest run in NFL history, which, like, let's be simple and plain. That's just not allowable. Like, no, Lovey, no Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I think Lovey did what he had to do. Ooh, he, this is from at Ryan AIG, I guess. Trading our Tess Miller and Ron Mercer for Jalen Rose was bad. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> Like, that's why the question is um, remarkable, because people have been holding on to things for decades, at least, and just just never saying them. And they they cleanse their system because Twitter is on the verge of going down. So shout out to all the people who jumped in. There was a whole bunch more. If you guys want to go to my Twitter feed, it's at Jason1Golf. This is from at Mitch Rogue. Uh, Zach Levine is not the player Bulls fans think he is. That that contract is going to haunt them for the next five years. All right, we'll see. You know, I mean, I get it. I get why you feel that way. Uh, this is from at Son of a Mitch one two three. My man Ben Rose. Why is Ben Rosen verified? Oh well, I know why. Okay. <laughs> Shout out to Ben Rosen. Is he? Hold on. Let me see if Ben Rosen. Did Ben Rosen go out there and buy him? Yes, he did. <laughs> he went out and bought it. Shout out to Ben Rosen. <laughs> it's so on brand for Ben. Shout out to Ben. Uh, he said, Justin Fields, five-time Super Bowl champ. Look at Ben. Just living his full meatball life out there. It's, it's crazy seeing a young man grow up from... Future ruler you know, of Chicago Sports Radio. Oh, you already know. Oh, you already know. He has already hired and fired young Jace Goff at least twice by now. I already know the vibes. So, yeah, man, that was it. Um, I don't know that I, you know, 20 years of doing this, Tom, there's nothing that I haven't said into a microphone. Like, you know, like, there's a bunch of things that people wish I hadn't said into a microphone. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Boomer Esiason. <laughs> but, yeah, man, I don't know that there's anything that I've really kept to myself. Like, okay. on any level. Okay. Dog, I've talked about every piece of my life since I was 20 years old in front of people. Like, you know, shout out to Matt Fishman back in the day who apparently was high as hell and thought that a 20-year-old 20, should be on overnight radio completely uh, unprepared. But I went in there, boy, with, with, with all the material that one should have when no phone calls are coming in for a three- or four-hour overnight show. I got busy that night, too. I'll never forget that night. James Allen game versus the Baltimore Ravens when James Allen went crazy for like 115 yards. And I told people Anthony Thomas would be the starter and the eventual offensive rookie of the year. And I've been taking big swings since. Haven't, been, haven't hit many, but 
you know, your boy keeps taking cuts. So I don't mean to kind of cop out or punk out of the segment, but I don't I don't know that there's anything that that I have just been holding on. Well, yeah, but I can't say that. <laughs> I can't say that. It, it might bum y'all out, though. Okay. You, <laughs> look at Tony. Tony wants it. <laughs> hey, man. Jimmy Butler should be very, very uh, happy that nobody has ever looked into certain things that happened in Marquette while he was there on campus that was really blown up as a story that other players took the the fall for. And Mm. I'll just just leave it at that. Mm. Make sure that gets covered up, Jesse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's why, hey, that's also why he ever came outside of his mouth to talk crazy about me until he got to his next de- destination after Chicago and kind of, you know, beat around the bush in his press conference about people that have talked about him before. He knew who the fuck he was talking to. And I did too. So it is what it is. <laughs> I'll stand on it if he's ever ready to. I'm I'm willing to. So yeah, that's that with that. Um, Derrick Rose's MVP should have been LeBron's. Oh, you know what? You're right, and you've always mm-hmm. been right. You and I have had this conversation. LeBron James went to a different team with two Everybody superstars, had the same numbers that he had <laughs> in Cleveland. Like more his numbers, right, his, his numbers, six numbers are supposed to go down. Dude, that first year, that first year LeBron in Miami, like, I don't give a shit who you were rooting for. I don't care how you felt about him. If you didn't think that every night in the NBA was prime time during that time in, 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 in our history, then in those games, man, like I've been, I've been in Vegas on fight night for championship bouts and covering championship bouts. Winky Wright, Shane Mosley. I covered uh, Michael Moore's championship fight. I covered Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson in um, in Memphis. Um, uh, I think I've covered like three or four of the championship fights, and there's no energy like fight night in Vegas and or just fight night with a championship belt on the line. But then I got a chance to get, to be around that Miami Heat Bulls 2011 Eastern Conference Final Series. And when I tell you that shit was everybody in the country, basketball, music, sports, everybody was in this city or in Miami going back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, it was only, it was only, it was only a, a short series, but man, and, you know, and, and guys were going to war. Like I make, I make light of, you know, LeBron doing what he had to do and, and getting the Bulls up out of here. But dudes was going to war. Like, battles were being had. Reputations were being earned. Like, warriors were being birthed. Like, you had you had Joe and Taj going to battle out there with Joel Anthony and Udonis Haslam. And, like, the, the little wars, the little fights that were happening. Chalmers against everybody in those backcourts, right? LeBron not getting calls because they were refereeing him like Shaq for a good five years, right? Like, I've never seen a player take off um, his padding and seen more bruises through the padding. 
Like, and I've, I've, you know, I was, I was around Shaq at the end of his career. So seeing guys, you know, you see scratches and cuts on dudes and you're like, God damn, like, you know, cameras don't pick up everything. And then when you're there in the locker room with him, you're like, oh, this, this motherfucker took an ass whooping tonight. Right. The Bulls put it on LeBron. Like he, he, uh, there, there was a reason why those battles were as intense as they were. And, of course, you know, that was at the end of Dwayne Wade's prime, too. So Dwayne was out there. People had no idea what Dwayne was doing to get ready for games, right? And then you had the Bulls on the other side, just just go-getters. Like, Derrick Rose put an energy and a, and a, a, a belief into a group of dudes who are already about that life. Like, Joe was already about that shit. Lou had already been through playoff war. Like, dudes was already about that life. And then they just dropped the spark in the middle of it. There's energy that I've been around in sports. There's energy that I've been around in life. There's energy that I've been around when it comes to art, when you're at your concerts, and you're like, oh, like, as in recent vintage, going to Kendrick Lamar's concert. Like, it, it was a true experience to witness that level of art on that high a degree and higher plane of execution as well. To see, to see Eric Spolstra and Tom Thibodeau go at it every single night. All right, Ronnie Brewer's first off the bench. Kyle Corver's first off the bench. All right, we're going to go small now and have Taj Gibson as the center and Lou as the four. Like, the, the mixing and matching of pieces, understanding, okay, there was a point in that series where they had cut off an entire side of the court for Derrick Rose, and Derrick was the first one to understand while the game was going on what was happening before anything got drawn up, and it was like watching a dancer understand that, okay, it's time to freestyle a little bit because somebody stole my moves, right? Like, the contestant before me in this amateur show stole it, so now I gotta get off this way. Like, the thing, the games inside the games, the shit-talking between media. Like, the people from Miami who was coming here talking shit about Chicago weather, you know how it is, right? And all the things, and then people going to Miami and pissing off the Miami people. Like, it was fun, man. It was a great, great time. A great time. But that being said, it wasn't gonna change nothing. Like, you know, we, we, we knew what it was. Um, yeah, it was good times. Definitely good times. Great take, Tony. Jess, for you, what would it be? I mean, for Chicago sports? No, nah, just sports periods. Like, if you had to get off a, a, a widely believed or known or lesser known Jesse Lopez take when it comes to your favorite sports teams or any kind of big storyline that you and only you believed or you just think more people need to believe. I don't know how big it is. I'm a, I'm a I'm a realist when it comes to sports. I don't really, you know, think I have like a big TikTok. But one thing that came to mind was in the the Red Sox. Well, Karen was the Red Sox or the Houston uh, World Series for the Dodgers. They turned Dave Roberts went with the rotation instead of going with the better pitcher at mm. that time. Alex Wood was on the rotation. I can't remember what year it was, but he nearly no hit whatever team it was that they were facing. I can't remember what team mm-hmm. it was because mm-hmm. they lost. It doesn't matter to me, at least. Had he gone to Alex Wood, it would have probably stood a better chance because he went to, I don't remember who went. It might have even been Kershaw at that point because at that point, Kershaw hadn't proved himself in the playoffs. Like, go with the hot hand. That's that's my only issue with Roberts is he's he has no gut. So that maybe that's the bigger one is Dave Roberts just has no guts. There it is. There it is. He, 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 he tends to follow the game plan and not, Nah, no tiene cojones. That's probably it. Shout out to the homies. Shout out to the (laughs) homies. I'll let you get that. I wouldn't let nobody get that off about Dave Roberts other than you, Jess. So I appreciate you on that. Yeah, man. Like I said, Tony, I don't know if I've had 
I've had uh, too many microphones in front of me to, to hold it back any of these dumbass thoughts. So most of them is spilled onto Twitter. So if this is the end of the Twitter, you know, say la vie. Uh, I'll catch y'all on MySpace. Hey, this is Lance Briggs. You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Garth. We've been having a lot of fun on this pod, but we definitely have to get into our Bears-Falcons thoughts. Um, Bears go to Atlanta. Shout out to the A. Um, you guys heard from Matt Chernoff, from Chucky Chernoff, about those Falcons. I think uh, I think Justin Fields has the ability to have one of those y'all should have drafted me games. I mean, if you take a look at where the Atlanta Falcons drafted Kyle Pitts and now looking at their quarterback situation, they they may rue the day that they didn't. But it's obviously there's a whole bunch of Chicago ties, so you're going to see that throughout the game. You know, Ryan Pace is on their staff. Uh, they got a lot of coaches from the former Chicago Bears coaches on that staff. They got Cordero Patterson. They got a couple of former Bears on that team. So you're going to have a lot of ties. You're going to see a lot of that during the production of Sunday's game. But Fields returns to the Atlanta area where he's very familiar, you know, growing up in the state of Georgia. All the Michael Vick comparisons are getting ready to happen, which I can't get enough of Michael Vick highlights, so I'm going to enjoy watching that with y'all. And these are the things that I need to see. Uh, You know, if if the Bears win this football game, I'm fine with it. If the Bears lose this football game, it depends how they lose it for me to be fine with it. I know this defense ain't going to perform because – the Atlanta Falcons can run the football similarly to the way the Bears can, and this defense doesn't look like it's going to be able to stop a runny nose. Uh, I love Jack Sanborn as next as the ne- as better as as much as the next person. I should say what I'm going to get tired of very soon is the people who are telling me that Jack Sanborn is the future at middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears. Like, let the young man continue to make plays, and we'll see. You know what the improvements are of this team in the offseason, right? The man ran a four seven three at the combine. He was an undrafted college free agent for a reason. He is really good at studying film and being where the ball is and making those plays. But if you're counting on these kind of Rudy stories, then you're going to have issues when it comes time to win games and people start to pick on young Jack Sanborn. Like I'm down with him and I hope he has a big game, but Let's, you know, the fact that he is making the most plays on that front seven just lets you know how bad that front seven is, to be honest with you. And speaking of that front seven and how bad it is, we're going to start to take a look around here at the the draft that Ryan Poles put together here in this this last stretch of games for this Chicago Bears season. The down the stretch here, Dominique Robinson, guys like that, like, you know, got a sack and a half when you were introduced to us. And since then, Robert Quinn has been asked to leave. Defensive ends have been shuffled around. And now's the time. If you are a rookie, now's the time to, to, to show coaches why you need to be out there more, especially on a bad team especially on a team that's going to be looking for front seven help across the board. So I need to see Dominique Robinson pop. If he is active, I need to see him in the backfield getting after Marcus Mariota or Desmond Ritter later in the game if he gets pulled because I think they're getting ready at some point to make some kind of move in the next few weeks in Atlanta. Um, Khalil Herbert to the IR is very important to me because David Montgomery – he plays with a physical force, and, and, and he's a part of that culture. He's a good pro. Uh, they want him around the, the facility for a reason, right? And he's, he's a better short yardage runner than Khalil Herbert has been. Khalil Herbert has probably been the better running back if you look at the, just the, the general numbers. But the better football player, it's arguable still that, that David Montgomery is because of his, his aptitude and blitz pickup and his just physicality. This is going to be the game where David Montgomery is going to get a lot of carries, a lot of carries. So. Khalil Herbert to the IR. You're going to see another Poles rookie, Treston Ebner. 
Uh, like this is a sixth round pick, Braxton Jones, fifth round pick. Like this, this Paul's rookie class is getting ready to be examined more so than just Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker down the stretch. And I think it starts this week against Atlanta. And who covers Kyle Pitts and Drake London? Because those two young men are talented ball players. I think they're going to get uh, some looks against this Bears defense because I think they're going to be passing opportunities. Uh, if Marcus Mariota, who hasn't been as accurate as you know a quarterback with his experience should be in a number two overall pick formally, uh, if he if he's accurate, those two guys are going to to get enough targets. Uh, you know, Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Brisker. I think those two guys are going to be in the spotlight in this game. And Jaquan Brisker over the last month or so has had a mixed bag. Like he's he's made some plays, but he's also been uh, the culprit in some contain issues and some gash runs. So seeing him get more fundamentally sound. And, and that's my segue into who I'm really looking at this game. I think Justin Fields is going to make some plays. Don't get me wrong. I think he's going to make some plays. I think there's going to be some mistakes. I think Arthur Smith and that that uh, Atlanta Falcons defense are going to zone him up. Dean Pease is going to send a lot of different uh, zone blitzing, man blitzing. I think he's going to mix it up. But I think they're going to be in a lot of zone. I think Justin Fields, this is going to be the take the cheese game. It's a guy who who wants to make the big play consistently over and over again, but this is going to be the live to see another down game. And this is the next step in the eva- evaluation process. And, and I think it's going to be a good thing because his, his, his legs have bought him enough time now that some pass rushes are going to be quarterback contains and mush rushes and just spying in the backfield to give him more time than his offensive line would normally give him if his legs weren't his legs, if that makes any sense to y'all. And finally, hey, Alan Williams, Matt Eberflus, I'd be lauding your performances if I saw something out of this defense without Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn. So, in turn, I can't be out here like, oh, well, you know, they ain't got nobody on the front seven. I need to see less penalties because penalties were a bigger culprit than anything in that Detroit Lions game. And also, I need to see more fundamental play out of the Chicago Bears defense. It's okay if you don't have talent out there, but seeing some of the things that we continue to see guys and, you know, two guys in one gap and the, the lack of contain by some of these perimeter players, that needs to come to an end. So, for Matt Eberflus and Allen Williams, the evaluation process is still ongoing for you, even though everybody loves Luke Getze and Justin Fields right now because of what we're seeing on the offensive end. Defensively, I need to see a more stout performance and especially more effort. So that, that's what I'm looking forward to. I think the Falcons eke out a win. I do. I, I think the Fal- special teams-wise, I think they got a better unit. Um, offensively, I think the Bears' offense is better. And going up against that Falcons' defense, uh, I think there'll be some plays that are that, that are able to be made out there. A.J. Terrell now is back. That's a guy that you don't want to get the ball around because he could take it to the crib. But I think the Falcons' run game will be the difference. I, I think I don't know if we'll see Justin Fields go for a buck 20 or a buck 30 the way he has been. And without Khalil Herbert, I, I think the onus will be on guys like Chase Claypool and Darnell Mooney to make big plays. Darnell Mooney's played a lot better as of late. Don't get me wrong, the last three or four games. And Chase Claypool's snap count went down from game one to game two. So now that we got a couple of weeks with him getting the playbook and being around this team and being in this system, I need to see Chase Claypool make some plays in Atlanta. So uh, until I see those things, I'll, I'll go with the Falcons. I'll go Falcons 31, Bears 27. 
somewhere around there, 31-27, a, a slim victory for the Falcons, give them the home field advantage, uh, give them the coaching advantage at this point, because I think Arthur Smith has done more with that team than Matt Eberflus has done with this team, even though not a lot was expected of either. So there it is. Uh, looking forward to another Bears game because we got the quarterback, so we continue the evaluation process, and of course, we'll be talking about it on Sunday's podcast. The full goal with Jason Goff. That's all the time we have for episode 176 of the Full Go Podcast. I want to thank our two guests on this show, Ben Solak, staff writer for The Ringer. You can also check him out on The Ringer NFL Show, the Friday feed, I believe it is. Ben Solak does a terrific job. You'll be hearing more from him, hopefully not just on this pod, but throughout the uh, the Ringer Network podcast. And, of course, we want to thank Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fan in the A. Uh, from the Chuck and Chernoff show. Always been a good dude. Really, really glad that I got a chance to link up with him while I was in Atlanta. And then after I, I left Atlanta, uh, he is one of the standard setters for Atlanta Sports Radio. He gave us the lowdown on the Atlanta Falcons, and we, we appreciate that. And I want to thank y'all for hanging out with us, of course, and our production staff. want to thank the shadowy figure that is known as Steve Cerruti, the active Jesse Lopez, my main man, Tony Gill. For the fellas, I am Jason Goff. Thanking you for downloading this thing. Thanking you for subscribing to it. Thanking you for rating and reviewing it. Sharing it with your family and friends. Whatever you do for this pod, we are truly happy that you are doing so. As always, we will talk to you on Sunday night, right? After Bears-Falcons. But until then, take care of each other and be safe.